Welcome to day 131 of Shaped by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp here with uh, David Keefe and Matt Kresge as we continue in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, which we mentioned maybe his third, maybe his fourth. And uh, there are no telling how many letters you know Paul has written to the various churches, but God in his providence has reserved these for us, for our encouragement, for our edification, and to build us up in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've divided, you know, Second Corinthians into three panels. You know, Paul welcomes the reconciliation that is taking place between uh, he and the church in Corinth. He encourages them in the middle, you know, section to renew their generosity after the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses a cross as a beautiful pattern. You know, God, you know, um, a beautiful pattern, you know, for for our own, you know, generosity. For you know, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was uh, rich, he became poor for your sex, so that you through his poverty might become rich, mm-hmm. you know, as the heart of that. And then he will address these who've op- opposed him, which he, he kind of gives the name super apostles, will be introduced a little bit to these guys, you know, in this, you know, in, in our reading for today. But uh, what Paul will talk about more than anything else is the greater glory of the new covenant in Christ and how it shapes us into the image of Christ. So rich reading today. Uh, one of my favorite uh, sections in Paul, in, in all of his letters and in all of Scripture. So before we, uh, as Matthew would say, dig into this passage, Matthew, why don't you dig in? In prayer. In prayer. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you as we um, do dig in and dive into your word, that, that Father, you would, uh, we just ask that you would, continue to show us the glory of Christ. Thank you for the greater reality of the new covenant. Um, Father, we rejoice in that today. We, we, um, we spend time reflecting on it, but more importantly, Father, we're, as we do that, uh, we read to, to know and to love you more and, and to be reminded that you have drawn us into fellowship with you. And then, so, Father, as we read your word, uh, would you remind us that, that we are yours uh, because of what Christ has accomplished, would you transform us into his image? And Father, give us wisdom as we read. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So when we come to Second Corinthians you know, chapter 2, we pick up in the middle of a thought. Uh, Paul is explaining to them why he delayed a promised visit. You know, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, he talked about coming to see them on the way you know, through Macedonia. He delayed that because... There was some tension in the church and in his relationship with him, and he wanted to, you know, give it some room to breathe in order that uh, his last time with them could be a joyful visit. And so this letter is in preparation, you know, for a far more joyful visit. But he's explaining to them why they delayed, and so we pick up with that thought, you know, in verse 1 of chapter 2. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know of the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. 
Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we're not unaware of his schemes. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captive in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to another aroma that brings life, and who is equal to such a task. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, a result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory as though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? The ministry that brought condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is a ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this very day the veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What a wonderful description of the transformation that takes place in our hearts and lives if we continue to walk with the Lord, gaze upon his his beauty as David would say in the Psalms, or see him as he is. You know, as first John you would talk about in her being transformed to be, you know, just like him through the Lord who is the Spirit. Mm-hmm. What a great summary of all of that. What are some other things, you know, that stand out uh, you know, in in this section? reading in second corinthians no even just looking at especially you know in in verse four you know as paul's at the start of chapter two been kind of describing you know the painful visit he had he didn't want to grieve them again and didn't want to be distressed by those who should have made him rejoice and so i wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears not to grieve you but to let you know the deep the depth of my love for you 
Um, again, just loving to see the, the emotions of Paul, his, his deep love for this church and for these people and how he wanted to see them repent, how he wanted to see unity restored and how even though he wrote them with, even with many tears um, to let them know about the depth of the love he had for them. And so I just love getting to see Paul's pastoral heart to the church. And he goes on in verse 9, he says, another reason I wrote to you to, is, was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. You know, I mean, we're seeing, I, I think maybe even in our culture today, we're a little scared at times to correct people or to call people to repentance or, you know, just for fear of well, what if they don't like me anymore? Or, you know, Paul saw a much greater reality at stake and it was their obedience, you know, in Christ or to Christ. And, and so I just love jumping off what David said, you know, Paul Paul's concerned about their their walk with Christ. And, and I, you know, I like, you know, there's kind of a bedrock principle that's embedded in here. Don't grieve those who bring you joy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and, and of course, the grief was necessary for a moment. And then he moves, you know, from one grief, you know, the grief of the separation and the grief of their lack of repentance to another grief, which is someone who is, you know, they have confronted and who mm-hmm. you know has it maybe the man from first corinthians who was in an immoral relationship you know that uh, paul said i've handed over to satan so that his his body might uh, you know experience you know the roughness of this moment but you know his soul might be you know spared it may be this man it may be you know a leader who's showing extraordinary pride but he's someone you know that paul has called on them you know to bring to discipline they have brought him to discipline he has repented and he said be just as quick mm-hmm. You know, in receiving him back into the fellowship and forgiving him, as you were, to point out the sin and to call for him to repent. I think verse 12 is fascinating. You know, we, we know, and Paul's told us all along through, you know, his letter to um, the Corinthians, his first letter, but he says, uh, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. You know, and so even in, I think we, we often see Paul as this courageous preacher of the gospel who that was his, you know, his only thing. And yet you also see he, he needed the, you know, brothers like Titus and Timothy to come along him, beside him and encourage him and comfort him. And he even tells, you know, in several of his letters, you know, that, that I long for, I, you know, long for the encouragement that I receive from these guys and from you. You know, you make my joy complete, those sort of things. And, and so I just love the reminder of, you know, yes, as we preach the gospel, we need the body of Christ to come alongside us to encourage us, and, and for Paul to have peace of mind. You know, he, he yeah, and, and of course, Titus was the one he sent to Corinth to make sure that you know things were progressing well, and he's you know he's in the middle of ministry, and he said you know you, things were not right with us, and so it was hard for me to be right with yeah. doing any other ministry until I knew not that you know we were at peace with each other. Yeah. And so when Titus finally comes and receives the good news, that that is the impetus, mm-hmm. you know, of this letter, you know, in Second Corinthians. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy, you know, image he uses, you know. But thanks be to God who always leads us in verse fourteen as captives in Christ's mm-hmm. triumphal possession and uses us to spread the uh, aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. It's kind of interesting. He's used this image you know, already in First Corinthians. And he doesn't put him. He puts himself at another place in the line. So you have a Roman procession mm-hmm. of victory. First of all, you have you know the winning general. You know is at the head of the line, and then all of his captains are in the next part of the line, and then all the soldiers who won it in the next part of the line, and all the captives who've been set free in the next part of the line, and finally those captured enemies. You know are at the end of line, 
and that's where you you know you have all the the roses and the garlands you know and that's where you finally have the booze and the hiss and maybe you know throwing rotten tomatoes or whatever it is at the last so in first corinthians he said we're like those uh captives at the end of the line we're receiving shame in this world while you guys are living in glory at the front of the line here he puts himself the next level up not from you know those in the back of the captured enemy but those captives who have been set free mm-hmm. through the victory of a mighty you know general mm-hmm. and uh, part of this would be as a you know as a a roman you know victory procession would go that there would be a a burning of incense in honor of them and so there's that aroma that would linger in the air of, of victory and it says that, that aroma's a sweet smell to those who are mm. being saved, but it, it can be repulsive to those who are not. Mm. And we need to be aware of that. Yeah. And we see that obviously still happening today as the gospels preached. And, that, and as we go to some, it's that sweet aroma. And to others, yeah, the, the aroma that brings death. Um, and so, yeah, I love getting to see that little visual he does give us. Mm. And then we ought to you know, talk about the glory of the new covenant. Talks about there certainly was, you know, a glory to Moses and a glory, you know, to the law, but a far greater glory, you know, comes to Christ in the new covenant. Matter of fact, after being in God's presence, you know, the glory of the Lord so shone on Moses' face that the the people actually ask him, you know, could you turn it down a notch? You know, could you you wear a veil? Paul, you know, tells us something the old covenant doesn't tell us. He said, you know, after a while the glory started to fade, and Moses still kind of wore a veil, you know, just to think that the glory may have still been under there. I'm not sure, you know, exactly what he's doing. And then he makes a quick transition, and he said, all of God's people are wearing that veil. I mean, all of you know, many in Israel are wearing that veil because every time Torah is read, they fail to see mm-hmm. the heart and the reality of Torah. And then, of course, you know, which should be a favorite verse to all of us in times of COVID, we all with unmasked faces. Yes, <laughs> one day. <laughs> we all with unveiled faces. Yeah. You know, the, the veil of our understanding, you know, has, has been open. And it's, you know, just that uh, beautiful, you know, beautiful description. Yeah. You have the love, he says, because only in Christ it is taken away. You know, and, and then, yeah, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're, we're so big on reading Scripture, right? That every time we read Scripture and we behold you know, the God who has revealed himself through his words, we're being transformed into his image. If we're reading Scripture rightly, we are, mm-hmm. you know, in the image, you know, that he uses, therefore, you know, more literally beholding is in a, a reflection. We see a reflection of him. Uh, in in you know in a mirror we we see as we see that reflection of him which comes through scripture uh, and we contemplate it it transforms us into his image from one glory to another and that is the work of god the spirit or the lord who is spirit in our life and what a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of transformation in christ fun passage all, all the way through and it's it's a fun book as well as we read through Second Corinthians. So look forward to catching up with you next week. Remember, we've given you a couple of psalms to read over the weekend in order to prepare your heart for worship. And we do hope, uh, you know, if you're part of Christ Fellowship or Christ Church, that mm-hmm. you'll join us in, in, in worship uh, online or in one of our services. But uh, wherever you fellowship, that you'd find a way 
to pray for to be in the presence of God's people, to receive of God's word, and to contemplate the glory of Christ and be transformed in, into his image. Father, thank you for your work in us as you build us up in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the surpassing glory uh, of the new covenant. We thank you for the fact that you're working in us now in order to transform us into the image of Christ. And one day we will be in his presence and fully in his image. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.